Welcome to the Ginghamsburg Podcast. After today's message, take a second to download the Ginghamsburg app. It's the best way to find out about and engage with what's happening at Ginghamsburg. We hope the following message helps you activate your faith and take the next step in your journey with Jesus. Hey, good morning, everyone. Good to see everyone in person and welcome to those worshiping online. My name is Dennis, one of the pastors. I want to give a good shout out, a thank you to Eric and Kimi for that testimony. We appreciate them, amen? And we appreciate them and all they do here at the church. So thank you for your witness today and thank you for being part of this teaching series entitled Climbing Out of the Red. Today we're going to bring the curtain down on our teaching series. This is the third. If you missed the other two, I invite you when you're able sometime this week to go back into our demand channel on the website and catch up, learn all that we've been learning over the past couple weeks of being good stewards of God's resources. Before I jump into the scripture today, from Genesis chapter 24, I want to say thank you to the church for coming out and being part of Wednesday night's Kingdom Investors Gathering. We had a great group here. We had a lot of good food. We had laughs. We had singing together. We shared about our past and we checked in on our present and we looked towards the future with hope. We talked about future ministry and our engagement into Miami County and Montgomery County and throughout the world. And we had as a very special guest, our district superintendent, Dr. Jim Wilson here with us, that gave a very inspiring message. Well, for those who are not familiar with the Methodist tradition, the district superintendent is the presiding elder over several regional churches, about 130 works under the bishop. And Jim was here. So in some way, he is our overseer over this whole region here. Now, I remember as a young preacher about 30 years ago, the first time the district superintendent came to the church that I was serving, and I was nervous because I'd never been a pastor of a church with a superintendent over me, and he was coming to get a report from the church. I'd only been there for three months. And so what would he say? What would my people say? And so Reverend Hickman was his name. He asked the church, this little country church, a question. Well, what's been the most exciting thing that's happened over the last year? And I'm just on pins and needles wondering, now, what are they going to say? And no one said a word. And I thought, come on, gang, they'll say something. He said, did anything exciting happen here? And no one said a word. I'm thinking, you got a new preacher? I mean, we talked about Jesus. Isn't that something? Finally, little Georgia Vance spoke up, 82 years old. She said, well, Reverend Hickman, we had a featured story about our church in the paper this year. That intrigued him. He said, really, tell me about it. She said, yes, somebody stole our outhouse. (laughs) And so that was the most exciting thing that happened. Here at Gingensburg Church, there are exciting things happen every week, and I'm grateful We had over 34 baptisms so far this year. We're having more next week. We got a report this week of many lives that have been changed, children and youth and students coming to make first-time commitments to Jesus. We have a team this morning serving breakfast in Dayton today at Fort McKinley. We have a group down in Lexington, Kentucky. We just heard a report that Hundreds, no thousands of lives have been touched through uh, new creation and new path as extension of our love and grace and team here at church. 
And so exciting things are happening. And I'm excited to partner with you and be part with you in this journey together. And I can't wait for what God has next. So let's think about that as we look at our scripture today. Genesis chapter 24, if you have your Bibles. I want to tell you the beautiful story of Rebecca. Have you heard the story of Rebecca lately? I want to share that story and maybe bring an insight for us on this commitment day. And although I'll tell most of the story here, I want to just highlight a few verses. Genesis chapter 24, verses 16 to 20. 16 to 20. Hear these words. Rebecca was very beautiful and old enough to be married, but she was still a virgin. She went down to the spring, filled her jar, and came up again. Running over to her, the servant said, please give me a little drink of water from your jug. Yes, my Lord, she answered, have a drink, and quickly lowered her jug from her shoulder and gave him a drink. When she had given him a drink, she said, I'll draw water for your camels too until they have had enough to drink. So she quickly emptied her jug into the watering trough and ran back to the well to draw water for all his camels. Here's the story. Abraham is getting old. Sarah, his wife, has died. He has one last task to do. He has something as the leader of his family he must fulfill. He must find his son Isaac a wife. Now, that's strange for our Western ears that the father would be selecting the son's spouse, although I think there would be a few dads in this room, perhaps, who like the sound of that or at least have veto power, right? But yet, in that culture, it was the norm. In fact, even though it's strange for us here in the West that there are parts of the world today in which this is still the custom. In my former church, we had a wonderful Christian family who were from India, and they were part of an arranged marriage. And never forget talking to them over dinner about their marriage, their wedding, and then what that's like, you know, that you didn't really select one another. It was your parents who came together and made this decision, and they said, well, Pastor Dennis, we learned to love one another. We learn to love one another. And for them in that culture, the time that was normal, it's still very strange to me. But that's what's going on in this ancient text. Now, what makes it even more odd is that Abraham was not part of the decision. He assigned this major task, because it was a major task to pass down the family name, right? That's how they fulfilled eternal life. And yet, he went to his head servant and he said, here's your your job. This is your responsibility. And I want you to do it in a certain way. I don't want you to select anyone from around this region. The text literally says from a Canaanite family. I want you to go back to my home country, which was miles away, basically modern day Iraq, across the desert and find the person there. Well, you can imagine how nervous the servant was, this monumental task. And you ever stop to think, well, what did Isaac think of this? And what would the young lady think of this? 
and yet he was assigned this task. And so he loaded up his camels. The Bible says he took a caravan, 10 camels across the desert with tons of presents and gifts for this young lady and for her family and for her father that they would get her to come back to this foreign land. And that's what they did. When he gets to the land, he's praying. He's nervous, the Bible says. And so he prays this prayer. It's found in Genesis chapter 24, verse 12. God, I don't want to make a mistake about this woman. I choose for Isaac's wife. I need your guidance. Give me a sign so that I will know the woman you have chosen. Lord, and here's the sign. Let her be the one who volunteers to do more than I ask her to do. He opens his eyes and there he sees, the story goes, a beautiful woman who is drawing water from a well. Could this be the one? And so he goes up to her and he says, ma'am, would you give me a drink of water? And she said, certainly I will, but I will also give water to your camels until they have enough. Wow, and answered the prayer, bingo. This must be the one. Can you believe it? She, uh, she said she would do more than what's asked of her. Now, what really blows your mind about this story is the fact that she would water all the camels. And hearing from a missionary years ago, speaking on this text, they were talking about camels, talking about their experience with camels, that camels will drink after a long journey, 20 to 30 gallons of water each. She said that she would bring drink to the camels until they had enough, 10 camels this servant had. And so this would have been 200 to 300 gallons of water. It also says in the text that she stepped down into the well, as to suggest perhaps there were stairs leading down to the well. Can you imagine the effort that she had to put forth? She would have been doing this all night long. It would have been sufficient to simply say, yes, sir, I'm here by the well, I'll get you a drink. But Rebecca said, yes, I will do it. And for your camels also. Now, Rebecca, in an amazing way, is a New Testament creature found in the Old Testament. For Jesus came to create a kingdom of Rebecca's, a group of people who will look at a situation and say, I'm your person, and I'm even going to take the next step. You remember when Jesus was teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, he said this, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, meaning that you go beyond the letter of the law, what you have to do, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. It was about a decade before Jesus was born in the Bethlehem that the Roman Senate gathered in Rome and they passed a decree 
that any Roman soldier patrolling in a Roman providence could stop a person of that country, a male of that country, and demand for them to carry their load for one mile. That was the law. No more than one mile, but one was required to do that task for Rome. Jesus was aware of that law. It was part of his culture. And so he's teaching in Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount, and he says this, Matthew chapter five, verse 41. Anyone, if anyone forces you to go one mile, what are you to do? Are you to argue about it? Are you to throw a fit about it? Are you to cry about it? Are you to say, well, you're always picking on me? No, you're to do what? Go with them two miles. You ever heard the phrase that's still in our culture? To go the second mile. That's where this comes from. In a sense, Jesus was saying to believers, blessed are those who say, for your camels also. Today, we live in an age where people are skeptical. They're cynical. They're wondering, do they really believe there at Gingsburg what they say do they believe? Do they really love God? Do they really love people? Is this just a Sunday game that they play and get in here and do a pep rally and have a lot of lights and drink some coffee and go home and live the same? Or is this real life? Friends, I want to tell you the secret of changing the world. Be a Rebecca. You want to attract people? Be a Rebecca. Love people so much in Tip City and Troy and Clayton, Inglewood, that people are actually going to stop and say, what's up? Why are you doing what you're doing? And you can say, let me tell you about my Jesus. Amen? My Jesus is giving me life and hope and joy in the midst of it all. And because God so loved the world that he gave as an ambassador, as one of his followers, that's what I want to do as well. Be a Rebecca, change the world. Now today, this is our commitment day. We, we do it once a year. We're considering our tithes and offerings, our investment for those who have invested their lives into this Jesus movement we call Gingsburg and beyond. And we're gonna give an opportunity to end this service as we sing. We don't always sing after the sermon, but today we're gonna to have the band come back up and we're gonna sing, we're gonna to stand together and we're gonna have an opportunity for those who are ready to um, surrender their hearts anew to the Lord and to also give a pledge for the next year. We're also gonna have our care team up front today. They're gonna to spread out front uh, for you. If you wanna come as we're singing or even after the service and you want prayer for any area of your life, it could be just prayer of blessing or help in your financial situation, your job situation, or maybe it has nothing to do with stewardship, but it has to do with health or maybe a family member or relationship and you want prayer. That's why we're here. That's why we're here together. And I wanna encourage you to do so. But we are going to invite people who want to come and we have a basket up front. For those worshiping online, as John said, you can go right on our website and you can give a pledge. If you're a guest today, as we've already said, um, we don't expect you to, to give a pledge unless God would call you to do that. It's, it's not a bill, it's just, it's just a way in which 
um, you can say, Lord, over the next year, with your help, this is how I'm going to invest financially. It does at least two things for the church. First of all, it helps us as leaders to get understanding so we can be good stewards of God's resources of basically what we're going to estimate coming in. Secondly, it does something for you. Because if you take time to plan, if you take time to pray, if you've not prayed about this, I wanna invite you to wait and maybe decide next week. But my wife and I always take time aside as a team. We get on the same page, say, where is God calling us in the next year, even with our resources and our tithes and offerings? Let me, again, pause and put a coin in the meter here and talk a little bit more about money as we wrap this sermon series up. We're gonna park the car here. Even though half of the parables of the New Testament deal with money or money management or stewardship, even though that Jesus talked more about money than heaven, hell, or prayer, even though there are 2,000 verses in the New Testament that deal with stewardship or money, there's always somebody in the church saying, I don't want the preacher talking about money. Probably because we've been around a lot of abuse in the past. But I wanna say, as a pastor and as a friend, that we cannot, and I say I cannot, you cannot, live obedient lives until we resolve this issue about money, that God owns it all. And that we are just stewards, we're caretakers of these resources for a period of time. I've lived in several places in my life and I've owned land, but I've moved on. I won't have that land forever. When I die, someone else is going to own that land until the Lord Jesus comes. But while I'm assigned to this possession, I wanna be the best caretaker of it. And the same is with God's resources. It's a hard issue. It's a hard issue. We always say it's more of an attitude than an amount. It's not equal gifts here, it's equal sacrifice. Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 23 from the Living Bible says, the purpose of tithing is to get more money? No. What's the purpose of tithing according to the law of Moses? To teach you to always put God first in your life. Before I spend all this, stuff, I'm gonna acknowledge, Lord, that you are the source of all that I have. I don't sing... Um, 10% to Jesus, I surrender. Some of you know that old hymn, some of you don't. Everybody on the chorus, I surrender 10%. No, it's I surrender all. It's all yours, Lord. Help me to manage it well. Now, here's the good news is, we make a commitment to God to place God first in our lives, to honor God. God says he's always gonna take care of us. My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. You know, we can't outgive God. It'll keep coming back and back and over and over, right? Somebody asked me once, well, pastor, should I tithe on my gross or on my net? That's a good question, isn't it? Should I tithe on my gross or, I didn't say this in the last service, so you're getting a little bonus here. You know, my answer is, whatever, whatever. I don't think it's about the letter of the law. The question is, do you want a gross blessing or do you want a net blessing? <laughs> God said he's going to provide all of our needs, right? He knows our hearts. 
Let's look at Proverbs chapter 11, verse 25. A generous person will prosper. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Give and it'll be given unto you. I didn't write that. That's God's word. Give and seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Put God first. Then all these things will be added unto you. You can't outgive God. It comes back in different ways. It's kind of like the sign that reads John Smith, veterinarian slash taxidermist. Either way, you get your dog back. <laughs> oh, that's a bad one. Sorry, that's not a good illustration. But God promises a return on his investment, on your investment. Now, I want to be very clear for those who are wondering what I'm saying here. This is not the prosperity gospel, if you know that term. This is not name it and claim it. Believe it and receive it. If you give, you're going to get. No, at the heart of that, if we're giving to get, what's that? That's greed. See, the truth is, though, based on the promises of God, that he might increase your income or he might lower your expenses. He might drop that too-good-to-be-true car deal right in your lap or he may keep the old jalopy going another 100,000 miles. Or it may not be a material or financial blessing at all. We might go all through our lives without getting that. It might be something greater. It might be a physical blessing. It might be a relational blessing. It might be uh, some sort of forgiveness that's done within the household when we turn our lives over to God. So I just want to encourage you that whenever we give, not just today, do it joyfully. Do it with a smile. Do it from your heart as if no one's twisting your arm. One more scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. Look at this scripture. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. That's why the preacher can't tell you what to give. You've got to give what you've decided through prayer. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves what? A grumpy giver? An angry giver? Gotta go pay my dues. No, God loves a cheerful giver. Can you imagine on Christmas morning if I have this Christmas gift for my wife, Rachel, and I say, well, here it is. I, I knew you'd be ticked off if you didn't get it. You better appreciate that. It sure cost me a lot. Here. I love you, baby. I don't think that would go over very well. She wants my joy, right? She wants my appreciation. She wants my love. And that's the same way it is. I love Rebecca because Rebecca came with an attitude that was unexpected. Now, can you imagine what Rebecca thought? That's for a Bible study for another day. Wow. To have that kind of faith to do something like that or to go to a foreign land. We could fill in the blanks. We probably have a lot of questions and we'll save that for another day. But here's what I do know. That when she to the stranger. Now think about this, we're almost through. When she was called upon to give a drink of water, she said, for your camels also. I mean, it wasn't like the servant said, hey, Rebecca, you better answer correctly here because you know, Rebecca, you're gonna be in a Bible story someday. And 3,000 years from now, there'll be some 
tall, plump guy in a little village called Tip City, halfway around the world, that's going to be standing on a stage and is going to be telling your story, so you better act well. No. She simply said, for your camels also. I love that phrase, don't you? Don't ever forget it. Let that be our motto here when we're serving, to go the extra mile. And when she took that little step of just being kind and going the extra mile, it started something in place where she became Bible students. As history tells us, the great, 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 and several more greats, grandmother of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? For your camels also, so be it for our church today. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you're gracious, and I thank you for this wonderful picture of Rebecca from the Old Testament and for her giving heart. And this morning, Lord, we gather here as people of faith. We gather here with people of hope. We gather here with a little bit of fear, but it's a fear of you and that we respect you. We know, Lord God, that you take away all human fear as we place our financial future and this church's future at your altar again. Thank you, Lord, that you meet our needs. We can't outgive you because when we shovel it out, you, you shovel it in and your shovel is much greater than ours. So fill us with joy. May we always be a giving church, but giving from the heart, giving with hope, giving with joy as we respond to you in Jesus' name, amen. I hope you enjoyed today's message. I've got two invitations for you before you go. First, subscribe to our podcast so it shows up in your feed every week. And if today's message inspired you and you'd like more people to hear it, you can give a financial gift through the Ginghamsburg app or online at ginghamsburg.org.